it is now time for people to repent. This is not normal. More than one million people die from malaria every year, with 90% occurring in sub-Saharan Africa. COVID-19 has changed our world. Today we are planting 15,000 ebony trees in Cameroon. And for the first time, ebony won't be harvested from the middle of the pristine forest. The scramble for Africa was over a long time ago, and now the continent is in your very hands. What you choose to do with that will define Africa's future. Africa Science Focus is a weekly program from SciDev.net, where our journalists from across the continent take you to the front lines of science and global development. My name is Sally Amutabi. Welcome to the first episode of Africa Science Focus. Each of the 55 countries found in the African continent has at least reported a case of COVID-19. Countries such as Kenya are on a second phase of lockdown. Nigeria is looking into trying a second lockdown due to the rising number of cases as President Cyril Ramaphosa of South Africa attributes the number and drop of deaths and cases to the lockdown. We look into how the COVID-19 has affected prioritization of resources such as reproductive health. We spoke to Aisha Matiku of Relentless Development Tanzania to provide some insight into this. In our country, um, the perception of the community, young people taking family planning is still, uh, is still negative. So most people using family planning, most young people and other women, their own decision not to share with anyone. Being with lockdown, someone cannot walk freely to the dispensary or to a place where they go take the family planning or any contraception or any sexual reproductive health service. Uh, so most young people use mm, short-term methods of family planning. And when we speak of short-term methods, we speak condoms, we speak of injections and pills. Uh, the circulation of that contraception or family planning method, it only lasts for three months or a day or 30 days. And people have been quarantined for almost three months. So you can imagine like, what if I'm out of stock? What if I'm out of contraception? What if I'm out of my pills? How can I walk to the dispensary? My mom doesn't know that I'm using pills to keep myself safe. Or how am I going to say to my husband who doesn't know I'm taking injections for family planning? How can I say I'm going out to the dispensary to take injections? It, it won't be okay. Aisha Matiku there, describing the reality for so many women in Tanzania at the moment. Even before the pandemic, only 2% of married women between the ages of 15 and 49 had access to modern contraceptives, which will certainly be even lower now. Our reporter, Michael Baruti, speaks to Dr. Anna of Engender Health to see what is being done for the people of Tanzania. Dr. Anna, we, we would like to know how has COVID-19 impacted the supply chain on reproductive health in terms of the services, in terms of the contraceptives and all those things? How has it impacted? 
data and statistics about how much in certain that it has, has been impacted. However, thinking about it um, in two ways. So first, there is the client demand for services, and then there is the service delivery fee for the supply. So, you know, uh, most of these services are being provided at the health facilities, and there had been fear of the facilities as there might be at risk of contracting COVID-19. Second, on the supply side, so, you know, services had been ongoing during COVID. I'm like all services, we did not have a restriction or type of services to be provided. So even the facilities, services were continuing to be provided. However, we should understand there had been higher demand on resources, particularly human resources, to address the, the emergency. At the same time, the supplies like gloves, they were on higher demand at that time. So again, those ones again would be pulled from reproductive health sessions to be able to um, respond to the emergency. Now, you can imagine the people who used to be using the facilities for delivery, for family planning, they would have to like opt for something else or somewhere else to go. You know, we have outreaches, you know, where you have to go outside your facility to uh, provide, you know, services in a place with higher demand and harder, harder to reach. So you, you'd have to do that through outreach. But then um, the outreaches, you know, the way they are conducted, you have to mobilize many people. And that would mean a congestion. So while there, had, um, there was no restriction regarding that, but, you know, so I uh, had to limit outreach services. Yeah. Do you think this whole situation will have a large impact on um, reproductive health in Tanzania as a whole? Um, yes, there, there would be um, a big impact. So let's start, for example, thinking about we had the schools closed during that time for a period of like three months. And during that time, so the kids were at home and the older students, the adolescents, who were in secondary school. So these ones, you know, biologically and all, some of them are actually active and all. They are not at the school. They are at home, and the parents are, you know, going out to work. They're not socially protected. And I feel like, you know, this would have an impact on the teenage pregnancies during that time. And, you know, like some issues regarding the reproductive health as a whole for the adolescents. Do, yeah. Was there any support given to them in terms of being able to provide uh, contraceptives to people uh, okay. and, and, and all the stuff? Uh, I really can't say um, that that was actually done. And again, you know, that also just reminds me um, of people in quarantine and isolation being able to access contraceptive services. And, you know, uh, as much as we wish to have it integrated uh, um, during the emergency response, like, you know, when people are in there, they're also able to access things like contraception. I don't really think that's made it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the actual plan and the implementation. There is a first, the, there is the shortage of human resource. There is the whole, the fear of the emergency and risk of contracting the disease. So really, um, some of these services might really not have met the criteria of, you know, the um, service package during COVID. So much info and insight there on reproductive health amid the COVID-19 pandemic I take you to our main story all the way from Uganda as we seek to understand the journey, the struggles of cancer patients amidst the COVID-19 pandemic in Uganda and how they seek to get medical care during this time. We spoke to patients of Cancer Institute 
in Mulago. My name is Alekuru Jaki, a patient at Cancer Institute Mulago, suffering from clone cancer ever since COVID-19 started. Transportation is a problem. So in most cases you find it's hard to meet up with your treatment, your appointments with the doctors, even the doctors themselves. Most cases they are not some of them are not around due to transportation. And if they are there they come late. The number of patients who are many so you you end up missing your appointment, you miss your treatment. Now that we are in COVID-19, most of us have been laid off from work, we don't work. So you need to use cash to get medication. The medication in cancer, most of it is expensive, so sometimes you find it hard to afford the treatment. I'm called Josephine Ajio from Dokolo. I'm suffering from breast cancer and I'm here at Mulago, Uganda Cancer Institute. Government should help us. We are sleeping under the veranda. Up to now we are sleeping under the veranda. If it is raining, we have to stand up and wait for the rain. We have nothing, no clothes and no blankets. Government will bring us a blanket and also ten. Whereby if it is raining, we can go and save ourselves inside. Walking in the shoes of Josephine and Jackie, both cancer patients from Uganda sharing their journeys on how the COVID-19 pandemic has hampered their efforts to seek medical attention. I introduce to you the Uganda Cancer Society. Uh, my name is Paul Ebusu from Uganda Cancer Society. I'm the executive director. Uh, Uganda Cancer Society is a network of organizations, civil society organizations in the fight against cancer in Uganda. To go straight, the issue of COVID-19 has indeed brought a lot of challenges for cancer care, especially in the area of access. You know, when lockdown happened, it happened abruptly because there was need to contain the virus. But then that need and that response came with a lot of uh, blockade for access to cancer care. I must emphasize one thing when we're talking about cancer care, which is very unique to cancer. And that is the fact that we only have one treatment center in the whole country. So when the lockdown happened, you can imagine that all the patients across the country, in any part of the country, were actually stuck. So there has been a lot of distress among its patients. We have had scenarios in which people were diagnosed before lockdown. And they were supposed to start treatment. Lockdown happened, they were not able to start treatment. Three months, four months down the road, they are stuck in the respective parts of the country where they are, only to, to be able to arrive to Cancer Institute after transport was allowed at a late stage. You can see those kinds of those kinds of challenges. You see? So the issues of decentralization have really become very clear. And the country at this point should no longer have a discussion on whether we should decentralize cancer services or not. No. COVID has just come to hit the nail right on our head. We have been knowing this, we are aware about this as a country, but I think at this point now with COVID, it is something that as a country we need to expedite very, very seriously. So indeed, you find that cancer has been hit, cancer patients have been cornered more than ever before. We have never had a national cancer control plan as a strategic tool or instrument in which we can actually check ourselves 
what we have planned to do, what we are doing, what progress is there, and provide accountability to ourselves as a country. There is need of more to be done. And indeed, as a country, we can do more and deliver better in terms of cancer care. Right now, I introduce to you a doctor from the Uganda Cancer Institute. I'm Dr. Noles Mujisha from Uganda Cancer Institute. I head the Comprehensive Community Cancer Program. We do community cancer outreaches, and we also provide cancer awareness and screening services here at the Uganda Cancer Institute. Uh, cancer is, is a very common disease in this country, and at the beginning of the pandemic, we suspended cancer screening services, and as I speak now, they are still suspended because the pandemic is still ongoing. In Uganda now, COVID-19 spread is, is now communal. And so we are concerned about bringing in individuals that could actually come with COVID-19 and transmit this infection to our patients. We think that in a year or two, we will see the death toll of cancer going high because cancer is a chronic disease. You know, it doesn't kill in one day like um, short-term illnesses like malaria, pneumonia. So we expect that in the next two or three years, we will see a death toll of cancer going high because people are missing treatment even now. And we've continued to receive cancer drugs even during the pandemic. I received an email from our head of pharmacy that we expected supplies of tamoxifen in two days. So we continue to receive these drugs, but the impact on our cancer care, on our cancer patients has been enormous. And I'm sure in the next year or two, we'll be noticing the death toll going higher. Great report there by Sarah Natolo. If you would like for us to put your science questions to a specialist, contact us via WhatsApp on plus 254-799-042513. The program is available for download at www.sidev.net. See you next Wednesday. This program was funded by the European Journalism Centre through the European Development Journalism Grants Programme with support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation.